This morning's scripture reading is from John 4, 43 through 54. You can follow along on the screen above or in your own Bibles. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and the whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after the coming from Judea to Galilee. The word desperate is uh, one of the most important words in the, uh, what I would call a spiritual vocabulary or lexicon. Uh, in fact, I, would, I wonder, and this, I mean this, and I, I hope nobody becomes desperate as a result of anything I say here today, but I wonder if we really grow in our spiritual lives without becoming desperate. And I know there's other motivations and things that cause us to grow, but it's, it's certainly one of the main ones. And so I want to tell a story. And I don't know if I've told this story here before. I've, I've shared it a few times in different places. So if I've said it before, forgive me in advance. But it's a great story and it's part of who I am. So uh, 2003. Uh, my son Aaron was in college at the time. And we were in Alaska. And we decided to... I think it was June 26th, I believe... So if you know anything about Alaska that time of year, it's light out like all the time, more or less. And it was a beautiful, it was beautiful weather. We got up really, really early and we went to uh, fish. Uh, the only way to fish is fly fishing. Do I have I told you that before? Okay. No. A little bit of a snob here. All right. We got up to fish on this uh, little uh, stream that fed into a big river and June is prime time for water flow. So we made it, uh, we fished this in the morning, this little stream, caught some fish, and we got onto the big river. And um, we were tired. We'd gotten up really early. We were in a rubber raft, or a cattle raft, but rubber raft. And we started to go down. I let Aaron was doing the rowing, and I was facing upriver, so we were going this way, and I'm facing this way. And I hear some water flowing, and I turn around, and there is a sweeper. Now, if, if you don't know what a sweeper is, it's a, it's a tree that has fallen in the river, and it's basically parallel to the river, and it is bad news. There's nothing good about a sweeper in a river. You avoid them at all costs. People don't, you just don't realize, and this was firsthand knowledge here for you to, to uh, if you don't know what that's about. But okay, so I hear this, and he tries to row out further, but the river is going too fast. We get into the sweeper, it, we turn sideways, and the raft flips over. I'm grabbing onto the sweeper, onto this log, 
That's all, that's all I could find to grab onto. He is continuing with the boat capsized down the river. And I've got to, I've got to swim about 50, 60 feet to shore. If I hadn't had a life jacket on, I wouldn't be here today. There you go. And he wouldn't have made it uh, in his journey. So I swam to shore and I yelled at him. I held on as long as I could. I don't know. What am I going to do? There's nobody around. We're, we're total wilderness. And I yell at him and just to let him know I was alive when I made it to shore. I had to climb up this bank. I saw him go around the river bend and I didn't know if I would ever see him again. So that's, and I want to tell you about the next 45 minutes because I was a desperate father. I climbed that riverbank and I, I was, you know, I was cold. The water was very, very cold. The, the sky was blue and it was like a jungle type situation. I mean, there was just growth everywhere. And um, I start walking and I'm having a hard time breathing. So. I get down on my knees, and I found a gear in my prayer life I didn't know was there. And if this is what happens when you become desperate. And uh, I prayed for myself to have energy and strength to, to walk. It, I didn't have to walk. It wasn't that far. It may have been, I don't know, half a mile or three-quarters of a mile or whatever. But through this, this jungle-ish conditions. But then I, I prayed more for my son. And I, I made it down to this... Uh, this area where people were fishing and uh, they were they were this is the surreal part they were having a wonderful day and here I am I come out of the out of the woods looking like uh, I mean I've just got dirt all over me and I'm I'm all sweaty and I'm in my you know my waders and uh, and and I start coming up to people with a desperate look on my face and I don't know what they're thinking and I didn't care where, have you seen my son go by? Because he would have come right by them on the main river. And uh, it's hard to describe all this, but they were in a little offshoot of the river. So they said, no, I, I can't. T- I probably asked 10 people. And there were, there were probably 100 people there. And none of them said they saw him go by. Did my son go by? Did my son go by? And finally, this woman came up to me. Maybe an angel. I don't know. It's just so, it's so, I'm telling you, I, this whole thing is so surreal. And she said, are you looking for your son? Yes, I'm looking for my son. I saw him go by. Maybe, I don't know, five, ten minutes earlier. So I had another quarter mile to go to the takeout area. That's where we were, had originally planned to take out. And in that quarter mile, I'm running, I'm panting, I'm trying to breathe, and I'm praying like I've never prayed before. Oh, God, because it's a tough area. It's a, it was a really fast river in that part of the river. I get down there, and just as I'm getting there, Aaron is, some guy is pulling him out of the river, off the raft, and he's okay. And he comes up to me, and I'm telling you, this was the hug from heaven. We hugged each other. I'll just never forget that hug, because he was so cold, and I was so hot. <laughs> And, and we just, hug, you know how, just imagine the, that kind of feel when it's a, it's a full body hug. He's soaking wet, and I'm just wet from sweat. And he's shaking. And we cry together, we hold each other, and we will never be the same because of that moment. Okay, so I got it out. And uh, wear your life jackets. How's that? But for any parent who's lost a child in a shopping mall, or more tragically, has lost a child. 
you are never the same. In, in all the grades of that, it, it affects your emotions, it affects your spirituality. A desperate parent, that's the story we have this morning, is a desperate father. We're in a series, this is the fourth of, of five in the series in John's Gospel, called This is Jesus, and Jesus is showing us how he opened up hearts to, for, for people, different people, to receive God's love. So we started out in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, a, a guy who's really up there. He's an insider. And the last two weeks with the woman at the well who's down here, an outsider. And today we're, more, we're kind of a little we'll up the ladder. It's a royal official in Galilee, not in Jerusalem. So we're going to walk through some geography here. But um, we've had this verse each week that is, if this isn't true, then, then we're sunk. We're really without life. My father is always working, and so am I, says Jesus. And I want to add another verse from John's Gospel, which comes right at the end, because it tells you why John is writing what he's writing. Jesus performed many other signs. I want, that word signs is really important in this story. Signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So uh, with those two verses in mind, we're going to look at a long walk, a gut check, and then we'll get back to that word sign. What's this a sign of? So uh, this is the map. We're going to walk uh, through here. And I think, hopefully, this is the right button. No, it's not. Do you see, um, is there a way to, is it? Okay, hold it down. All right, thank you. Now, now what? I'm moving it. Are you guys seeing something? I'm not seeing something. What do I do here? How do I get it to... Point it that way. I'm pointing it right at Eddie's head. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Technology. Okay, there's Capernaum right there. Right in the middle. Turn it around. This way? I can't do it. That's backwards. I'm going this way. All right. There's Capernaum and there's Cana right there. So I want, what I want you to know is that there's 20 miles of... Uh, it's, it's roughly 20 miles between the two. This, this is really important. Now, Jesus... Oh, boy. <laughs> Jesus started out down here with Nicodemus in Jerusalem. And then he came to Samaria. Remember the woman at the well? And now he's in Cana. Cana... Little known fact, Cana is wine country. Yeah, well, I thought maybe some of you would would laugh. (laughs) It's where Jesus turned water into wine, okay? But that's why we know about Cana. It's where he did that. He turned these, these seven, I can't remember how many jars. Was it 17 jars? Anyway, a lot of jars of water, big jars of water that represented the ceremonial rituals of the Old, the Old Testament into wine that represented, see, it's a sign. It's not just a miracle. It's a sign that represented new life in the Spirit. Cool miracle, especially if you like wine. 
some people have preferred that Jesus would have turned wine into water. Well, get over it. Come on. All right. Uh, so that's where that's where that is now. So you have this. Jesus is in Cana, and uh, the man is in Capernaum, and the man has a well. Let's let's back up. He's he's a man. He's a royal official. The one translation calls him a nobleman. So he's he's important. He has standing. He has status. He has stature, position, whatever. But he's got a problem. He's got a dilemma. He's got a sick, a very, very sick son. Close to death is what the scripture says. This, his son. Close to death. And here's the dilemma that you could imagine if you're a desperate parent. Do I leave my son here? And he may die by the time I get back, even with help. He may die. And I would miss his last breath. I mean, that would be important. Or do I risk that and go the 20 miles uphill? That's uphill. It's very mountainous there from the lake up. The lake is actually below sea level and then up into the mountains there. So it's, it's going to be a bit of an arduous journey. We don't know how long it would take, but I don't know. I'm guessing 10, 12 hours if he really kept at it. And he has heard of Jesus. Uh, that there, there are rumors that are, are around that Jesus can do miracles. But that's about all he knows. But he is what? He's desperate. There's that word. You wonder, and, and you don't, it's a question I'll ask, but the answer is so obvious. Would this man have walked 20 miles uphill in hot weather if his son weren't sick to find Jesus? What's the answer? No one else did. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean this is where desperation propels us into seeking God. So he's on his way. And it's a long walk. And the scripture says that when he got there, he found Jesus and he begged Jesus to come and to heal his son. Now, the, the, the begged is a, is a uh, we, we don't know exactly what he said. All we know is that he begged. So I, he had 10 hours of walking. Do you think he didn't think about what he's going to say when he finds Jesus? If he finds Jesus, he hears that he's in Cana. Well, I'm guessing he would have said something like any desperate parent would have said, if you can come, please, now, as soon as possible, my son has a chance to live. I've walked all this way with one hope. I don't have any other hope anywhere else. Would you please come, sir? Please come and heal my son. I love my son so much. You have no idea how much I love my son. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I would have said. And I want you to notice something here in, that's happening that is, 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 it doesn't happen with everybody, but it's happening to this guy. And it's what happened to me on that hot day in June back in 2003. He, remember, he's, got, he's a guy of stature, standing, position. And what's he, he's groveling before a Jewish rabbi who has a reputation for being able to do a miracle. Groveling. I mean, he's, you know, begging. You see what happens when you uh, get desperate is your ego gets downsized and all those words about standing position, they're all related to our ego. Your ego gets downsized and you just become a dad who loves his child. Nothing else matters, nor should it. And that's how I felt that day as I walked out of that woods, probably looking, you know, like, (laughs) there's some strange characters in Alaska, let me tell you. And uh, I didn't care. 
I didn't care. I would have gone to, there were 100 people there, I only went to 10, I would have gone to the other 90. And I don't care what they thought of me. I didn't tell anybody I was a pastor. <laughs> Not that it mattered. It didn't matter. Your position doesn't matter when you love your child. You know what I'm saying here? Yeah. So, there you go. And then we have, I'm going to get back on onto our, hopefully this will work. Here we go. The gut check. And uh, it's a gut check because of what Jesus says. He says something that's uh, hard for us to hear. And um, it doesn't sound very inviting. But this is a phase of Jesus' ministry. Uh, commentators talk about it as being the popularity phase. And in other words, Jesus was gathering crowds and people were hearing about him as a miracle worker. And, and you know, if he had had a Facebook page, he would have had, well, or, uh, he would have had lots of likes. There might have been a few nasty comments from those Pharisees in Jerusalem. If he were a, a Twitterer, he would have had lots of followers. And the, the momentum is gathering. He's becoming very well-known and very popular, and there's a danger with that, one of which is that you get typecast. If you're a, a screen actor, you get typecast into one particular role, and people can't visualize you, so you get stuck known as that kind of actor, and you can never, you know, whatever it is. And I think of Mad Max, or Miracle Max. I call him Mad Max. Miracle Max in The uh, Princess Bride. Don't think too hard about it because it, it'll get you off track here. But, um, <laughs> yeah. But, but it's, he's a miracle worker and he has lots of funny sayings and all the rest. Well, the word, let's just see where this goes. The word signs is found um, of uh, reference to maybe six or seven miracles that Jesus does in John's gospel. John's very picky about how he puts his gospel together. He's different than the other writers. And he picks out these events. The first one was the wedding at Cana where he turned the water into wine. This is now the second sign where he heals this. I'm giving away the ending, but you've already heard it read. So he heals this boy, the desperate father. This is the second sign. And then there's other signs that continue in John's gospel. And what John is trying to do is get you to realize that it's more than the miracle that's happening when these things happen. That there's something about the love of God and the power of God, the manifestation of God, and it's an invitation for you to believe. It's, and so the word signs is, is a very important word in, in John's gospel, but the way Jesus talks about it here when he sort of uh, sounds harsh, he says, unless you people see miraculous signs, signs and wonders, you will never believe. Now, in fairness to the man, Jesus may have been talking to the people around the man more than directly to the man. We'll come back to that in just a second. But signs and wonders as opposed to signs. What is that all about? What Jesus is saying is that some of you are just here for the show. Some of you love to see things. It's like 4th of July. You want to see the fireworks. You want to say, oh, and wow. And Jesus is saying, I'm not that kind of that's not me. Don't typecast me that way, is what he's saying. You're not going to believe based on that. Do you know there's, there's little evidence in the scriptures, and I would say in life, between miracles being experienced and belief. The evidence comes when you realize who's behind the miracle and what that miracle means to you. There's lots of miracles in the Bible that were witnessed by Jesus' enemies. They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't come to faith. They think he's demonic. It's not about the miracles. It's about what those miracles mean, the signs. 
So Jesus is giving him a gut check here. Eugene Peterson says, and it's always haunted me. I know I've quoted it many times. He says, most people don't really want God. They want something from God. That hurts. That's like, you know, do a little gut check there for yourself. Do I want God or do I really want something from God? Well, um, the man is not a wow seeker, it seems. He is somebody who just loves his son. And Jesus picks up on that, I'm sure. And he says to to the man, go, get out of here. (laughs) Go back the 20 miles from whence you came. Your son will live. But the cool part is it says, and the man took Jesus at his word. Now see, there's, there's the reason for the miracle. And the man takes Jesus at his word. So he believed. At least that's the evidence that we have from the text here. And uh, what's, what's unique about this is that this is probably, it's a little hard to say this categorically, but it's one of the few times, or maybe the only time, that Jesus did a long-distance miracle. And most of, the, most of the time, it was people right in front of him. He would do the miracle right there. And the reason for that is usually given because he, he's always personal. He doesn't do mass healings or you know, impersonal stuff. But this father, it's very personal to the father. The father's right in front of him. And the other thing that, that you need to note is that Jesus is not predicting that his son will be healed. Jesus is actually healing him right there. We, we find that in the text, and we'll, we'll see that in a minute. So it's, a, it's an effective word that comes out of Jesus' mouth that, uh, that creates a healing in his son as he speaks it. Go and your son will live. And then he's got some time to think about stuff, doesn't he? Because he's going to go back to the village. How far is it? 20 miles. That's a long ways. And this time it's downhill. But we know that he doesn't get there till the next day because of something that gets said in just a minute. But just imagine what he's thinking as he's going downhill. Now, if he came up the hill fast, how fast is he going down the hill? I mean, you just imagine what he, he, what's on his mind. But he also may be thinking, like some of us, is who is this Jesus anyway? I mean, is he really the Messiah? Is, do messiahs do this kind of thing? Is my faith enough? Did he really say that? And maybe quoting another father in the Gospels who said of when his son was rolling around on the ground in convulsions and Jesus asked the man to have faith and the man said, I believe, help my unbelief. Some kind of mix of belief and unbelief. Maybe some of that was going on in the man as he walked down or ran down the hill. But the biggest question on his heart would be what? What's he he wondering more than anything else as he goes home? Is my son alive and well? I mean, that's got to be the big question. And then there's this thing here about the servants come out to meet him the next day as he's walking towards home. You don't know where that is on the trail, but just imagine when he sees those servants coming towards him. What's he wondering? What, what is he wondering? What could they tell him? They could tell him two different scenarios, could they not? And body language probably gave it away. Why are they dancing? You know. But 
You have to wonder. I want you to see what this man might have gone through in those hours. The servants come out to tell him that at one o'clock yesterday, your son was healed. The exact time Jesus spoke those words. Okay, finally, the sign. What is this a sign of? So it says here that the man, he told his household, his whole household believed. Well, he didn't tell them that Jesus was a miracle worker like Miracle Max. He told them that this is a sign that Jesus Christ is uniquely from God and that he is uh, endued with powers and endowed with powers and he's able to do amazing things. And that the reason he does these things is so that we will believe. That's the reason he does it. Do we all believe here? And he's the guy, he's got servants, he's, remember he's important, he's got other family members, maybe extended family, and it says, they all believed. This is what you do when you are desperate and you find a, an answer to your desperation. You tell other people about it. That's why I told you that my story this morning. I love to tell that story, although it hurts still. I cringe sometimes when I think about what could have happened. But I'm so grateful. All right, I want to just share one last little story. A guy came up to me one time after I was doing what I'm doing right now. So it was at the end of the, of the church service. And he, he was a guy I didn't know very well. I, his, his wife was very active, but I never heard, he didn't say much. And uh, I, had, I had said something about the cross. Well, you know, that's what I do. And, um, you know, at the end of the sermon, I said something about the cross and how Jesus paid uh, the price for our sins. I'm sure I don't remember exactly what I said, but it, it caused something to stir in him that um, I won't forget. And he asked me the question. He said, why is it that we often just think of the cross as this place where um, Jesus died for us? And we're supposed to see that. And, and sometimes you hear this thing about the wrath of God was, was put onto him and that God the Father turned away from him. And that whole thing was really, really weighing on him. And then um, he, another couple more details. One is that he, had, he actually had a tear in his eye as he talked about it. And secondly, he had a son who was suffering from some kind of arthritis, a young son. So this was not a theoretical question for him. What he's basically saying is, how could God, who is love, how could the Father turn away his love from the Son on the cross? And the the Sunday school answer is because we've sinned. But there's, and and there's truth to that, but there's more truth in the Bible. So I'm going to give you a verse to think about. Uh... 2 Corinthians 5.19 God, for God, was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. In other words, the Father and the Son were one in the event of the cross. They were together in that. It's different. It's a different way of looking at it. And it's hard for us to imagine. I mean, can you imagine anything greater, any, any love greater in this world? And I want you to really do this. Imagine, if you would, any love in this world or in heaven, wherever it might be, greater than the love of God the Father, from what we know about Him, to God the Son. 
I mean, that's pure, unadulterated, strong, industrial strength of love. As it gets, I mean, John particularly brings that out. And the scriptures invite us to, to imagine, yes, maybe there is a stronger love than that, and that is the love of God for people. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. This is Jesus. This is the love of God for us and for our households and for our workplaces and for our neighbors. Let's pray. Father, your love is uh, deep as an ocean and uh, all, the, all the metaphors that come to mind. Open our hearts, Lord, to understand more deeply your love for us. Um, Open our hearts. Use those moments in our lives, Lord, where we become desperate. And we all have, we, we have them or we will have them or we've had them in our lives. Use those moments, Lord, of desperation to become, transform them into um, a desperation for you, for your kingdom, for your love, for your power, for your grace. And change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. prayer can I invite yeah back in the back there will be people that would love to pray with you you know if you've heard God speak this morning and that happens in places like this on Sunday mornings I have I heard somebody talking about this week um, go back and be prayed for there's the invitation or maybe you need a healing in your life God does that he's the same yesterday today and forever amen